Hello, it's uh, iBookBinance podcast, uh, and uh, today our guest is uh, Peter Geraghty. Peter is a, a bookbinder and a bookbinding teacher from uh, uh, from around Boston, uh, Massachusetts, United States. Uh, hi, Peter. Hi, guys. And uh, uh, the other guy is my co-host, Pavel. He joins us uh, from Moscow. Hi. Can you tell us a bit about uh, the American Academy of Bookbinding? Because I'm sure not uh, not all the viewers know what is this school and uh, uh, where it is located, when it was created, and what's your relationship to it with it. Sure, sure. Actually, I always have my AAB um, apron on when I'm in the show. I envy both uh, you and Brenda because uh, Brenda also has. Uh, or apron in a bit different design, but still. Mm. But when I was at, uh, at the academy in 2015, uh, uh, the school was out of stock of this apron, so I never had a chance to buy one. <laughs> well, I think we have some now, so go, go, go check. Um, yeah. yeah, so AAB, the American Academy of Bookbinding, started life as the AHA School for the Book and Story Arts. Um, it was begun by um, Daniel Tucker. Um, he happened to live in Telluride or had a house there. I'm not quite sure how that goes, but some 25 years or so ago, he started this um, place where um, the idea was to write and produce your own books. And I think it was very much a little bit more of a craftier way of doing things, not as intensive in technique. They were doing printing, they were doing binding, um, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and a woman named Judy Cohn started working with him and um, she's, she sort of became, I guess, you know, main person working with Dan. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were teaching classes and they were bringing people in from around the country to teach classes. And I'm not sure exactly when the change happened, but Judy and AHA moved off to become um, an umbrella arts organization in Telluride, Colorado. And Tini and Anan Mira came in and worked with Dan Tucker and created the American Academy of Bookbinding. So the timing of that, I'm a little unsure about, but it's about 20 years ago, 22, 23 years ago, something like that. And then AAB became solely focused on bookbinding, mm -hmm. on the refinement of the technique um, and um, you know, just trying to become a place where you could go to really learn pretty much the highest skills in the trade. Um, it focused primarily on design and fine bindings uh, because that was Teeny's uh, background. Uh -huh. um, later on, uh, um, Teeny left and Monique Collier took over um, and she followed a similar trend, similar way because she herself is a design and fine binder. Um, and um, 
her husband, Don Etherington, came in and was teaching conservation uh -huh. as part of it. So AAB divided into fine binding and conservation. Um, after a while, um, Don phased out because he couldn't handle the altitude. It's a high altitude there. Um, and um, it wasn't simply conservation he was teaching. He was also teaching uh, more standard bookbinding techniques as well. So um, Monique um, stepped down as director and Don Glaster became director of fine binding. Um, but Monique stayed on as one of the main faculty. Uh -huh. And then I think it was 2014, I was brought in to begin a different program that was more along the lines of what Don Etherington was doing, uh, where it's a more generalized program in bookbinding and bookbinding skills um, with um, some conservation involved in it, but not advertised as conservation. It's called the Integrated Studies Program. Uh -huh. uh, called that because it is, it's taking in um, sort of, well, everything from beginning bookbinding to, um, you know, up through half leather and full leather bookbinding. It's involving uh, Renata Mesmer from the Folger Shakespeare Library. She teaches paper repair there. Um, we have um, Julia Miller has been coming in teaching uh, history of books and bookbinding. Um, so it's it's a more theoretical course or uh, it's it's practical course as well. Practical, yeah, practical okay. as well. Uh, Julia does combine some lecture, mm -hmm. uh, some lec lecture demonstration to it, but also working um, on it. We have a number now of sort of steady faculty that come in and teach. Um, and, you know, we're teaching pretty much everything you can think of, um, miniatures, edge gilding, parchment over boards, uh, tooling, uh, not just the kind of tooling that Don does uh, with fine bindings, more the French style tooling uh -huh. of painting in the um, shellac sizing and tooling that, but also the kind I do here, uh, which is more of the production style of just um, putting egg glare over the whole spine of the book and just tooling it all at one time, that kind of thing. So in my bindery, I have to, I have to know how to do all of this stuff. So ISP is sort of teaching all of this stuff, the stuff that I do in order to keep my bindery functioning. So going to the program that I teach, you would learn more about how to hang up your shingle and do everything from repairing somebody's family Bible to doing an addition, to doing boxes and portfolios um, to do full leather bindings and all of that stuff. Going to Don's fine binding class, 
you'll learn more of the intricacies that have to do with the art and design of binding as well as the execution of fine bindings. Um, that's sort of where they, where they differ. But mm -hmm. even so, um, you know, people that come to the school, they take, they take classes in both, both sides of the spectrum. They just have to choose what diploma they want is all. Yeah, and that's that's the next question I wanted to ask because uh, uh, I know about it uh, uh, that uh, you can just uh, uh, pick uh, one or two courses and uh, go to study to uh, to the AB, or you can choose the path and uh, go for a diploma. And yeah. that's that's two absolutely different approaches. You can mix them a bit, uh, uh, but 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 still, can you tell us a bit more about this aspect of studying there? Sure, sure. Um, well, we do have, uh, we do have, and we do continually get um, a group of really dedicated people that want to learn the craft and want a diploma at the end of that for the satisfaction of knowing that they have that capability of doing something really well. And neither Don nor I are gonna let anybody graduate with a diploma unless we feel that they are doing really good quality work and know what they're about. So if you come out with one of those diplomas, it's not an accredited school. It's not a diploma that you can take like a master's degree on top of your um, undergraduate college education but it's something that means as much to the individuals. Um, and there are places that like to know that you have done that. Um, so the diploma is that mark that you've come that far. Usually the way the diplomas work is that um, somebody may come to the school, take a smattering of a few classes, decide this is something they want to do. And then over the period of maybe four years, maybe more, um, they'll continue to come back um, and pick up the classes necessary to get the diploma. If they're going for the diploma, it's not just classes. They're also required to do homework. Mm -hmm. And the homework has to be submitted to Don or to myself, depending on which uh, side of the, of yeah. the school they're going through. Um, and we look at the homework, we give them critiques, tell them what they've done well, tell them where they, <coughs> excuse me, may need to um, do some more work, show some more improvement. Um, and they keep doing this throughout the process. At the end, um, they're required to have X number, <coughs> excuse me, of finished books that are then going to be judged by um, a group of people that Don or I um, get to do this. You know, we we request you know, like three people that we see as peers of our own to come in who are not related to AAB 
to judge the work um, to see that it does fit the criteria that um, we require. And Don and I are not going to send anybody um, to that committee if we don't feel that they're going to pass um, because it reflects poorly on the school. So if you do get the diploma, you can feel pretty well assured that you'll be seen in the eyes of other binders as being someone who has accomplished. Maybe you still need to do more work as I and everybody else I know still needs to do more work, but you'll know that you're at a certain level. There's also nothing wrong with just coming and taking classes for, you know, over years and years. And we do have people that do that because they love it. And uh, Stepan, you know that it is a gorgeous place to study. The facilities are beautiful, the old stone building, it's well suited. And in the midst of this box canyon, in this tiny town in yep. the Rocky Mountains with the waterfall at the end of the street. It's a pretty amazing place and lots yeah. of great hikes to do. So, you know, you could do worse. And one of the things that happens at that school too is that it's an intensive, um, not by anything the teachers do, but it becomes an intensive um, situation because you're there for eight hours during the day. And then you have 24 ac hour access to the studio. So what happens is that um, a lot of students, you know, I'll go to the grocery store and come walking by at night going home to cook my dinner. And yeah. I'll see people in there. Sometimes people like it, you know, late as 10 o'clock. Now I'm in bed after that. So they may be there even later, but people will be in the studio late into the evening working on other books, um, duplicates of what they're working on in the class. They're um, communicating with the other students. And there's been any number of friendships that have occurred amongst the students that carry on into their life beyond AAB um, because it is a very intense thing. There's no place for you to go other than hiking. So, you know, <laughs> yeah you tend to just stay there and focus on the work. Um, so it's, it's a great place. And how much uh, time do you personally spend there? And you there, I mean? I am there, you know, from say 8.30 to 5.30 or six, five days a week. And I give the students my full attention. Um, what we usually do, and this would change a little bit from, um, instructor to instructor, but pretty much what we're doing is we're doing some demonstration um, where the students will all gather around the instructor's bench. Um, and, you know, we'll do a demonstration that gets us to a point that we need to be, and then send the people back to their stations. Um, and then the instructor will just spend the rest of the day walking around from student to student, giving um, personal attention. And as often as not, um, like we, we usually stop the number of students at 10 or 12, 
But when we have that many, we as often as not also have um, somebody who is either a graduate of AAB or somebody who's been at AAB for a long time working with us as an assistant, also going around and working with the students. So the students, they can't get rid of us. We're hanging over their shoulders pretty much all day long until we break to have them come up to the instructor's bench again to go on with the next step. So the, the training is pretty intensive and very personal one-on-one -on -one as well as with the class as a whole. So uh, yeah, we're there the whole time. But how do you combine managing your own shop and uh, teaching a, a course like that? Yeah, that's, uh, that's up until the last couple of years. Um, well, even the last, even this year has been a particularly difficult year as everyone knows. In fact, AAB has been closed the entire year and we are hoping to open next June of 21. Mm -hmm. We don't know the facts of that as of yet. Um, there still is just too much up in the air. We're planning, trying to figure out how we can do it. Since I have employees, what has been good for me is that I can go to Telluride um, and you know, 2,000 miles away from where I work and I can keep in contact with my employees. And this is the way it's been going as long as I've been going to Telluride as jobs have continued moving through the shop while I am in Telluride. And of course, you know, with the internet, I've got complete communication with them um, and also with uh, potential clients as well as regular clients while I'm in uh, Telluride. So, you know, I spend my lunchtime back at my apartment in Telluride um, and evenings and weekends communicating with uh, people back east. So things keep moving. Um, people like Don Glaster have to just stop working. Um, yep. you know, because what he's doing is pretty much what he does, although he's had an apprentice for a number of years up until recently who was doing stuff for him too. But, um, you know, so for the person where they are their shop, it's a little more difficult. But for me, I've been able to keep the shop running at a distance, even if it's not, even if I'm not there cracking the whip over them all the time. So. And the courses take uh, a few months, uh, months in summer, a few months in winter, or is it all year round? Right. Um, tell you, Ride. Um, has a very famous film festival and a famous bluegrass music festival, as well as a number of other festivals that happen in the warmer months of the year. So there, there is also a limited amount of um, residential space. It's a ski town. So in the winter time, a lot of people own uh, condominiums and houses there and they come in in the wintertime and ski. So it's very difficult for us to get housing um, for students to come in. So basically we open up around the end of April, 1st of May, 
and we close the week before Thanksgiving. Um, in between those times, we have to dovetail a little bit around the festivals. We tend to make it work, but it's a little difficult finding lodging during festival times. Um, the classes themselves, they either last one week or two weeks. And if they are one week classes, we often try to dovetail a second class. Um, for instance, um, I may teach cloth repair and restoration one week, and then I may teach leather repair and restoration the following week. You don't have to take both, but if you want to, you can come and stay for two weeks. So that way it works, um, you know, it's a more efficient use of the student's time. Um, when I'm teaching the half leather class um, or Don is teaching the uh, leather class he teaches, those are two week classes. And so you come and plan to stay, but then Don may teach tooling in the third week, um, you know, which will give you the opportunity to um, stretch that. And in the half, <coughs> excuse me, the half leather class, I may teach how to do a uh, production spine tool in the third week. So there are ways you can sort of, you can carry this on as far as you want to. And the classes cycle through. So some are run every single year. Some are run every two years. And then in a third year, we may introduce something like say edge gilding, which is not needed that much um, or parchment over boards is not needed that much, but we wait until there's enough people that have expressed interest and then we fit that into the schedule. Yeah, and that's that's exactly uh, the experience I had uh, at the academy when I was there in 2015. As far as I remember, uh, there were uh, two students who uh, started uh, one week earlier than I did uh, with your course on uh, uh, beginners bookbinding or something like that. And then yes. we all uh, moved on to your course on box making. And then there were two weeks of uh, fine binding with Don Glazer. And after that, there was something else that was interesting to me as well, but I was out of time and out of budget, so I had to leave. <laughs> Yeah, the out of budget part is a real problem. You know, the classes themselves are not terribly expensive, yeah. but it's hard to get to tell you right. It takes yeah. two airplanes, no matter where you're coming from. Yeah, and I had to take four. Yeah, well, you came from <laughs> a little further away than most people. Yeah, I'm pleased to say that we do get people from around the world that come here or come to tell you right. Yeah. Um, there aren't many places. I mean, Ascona is something like what we are. Yeah. Uh, North Bennett Street um, is different in that that is a two year commitment. Yeah. And we have quite expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. It's a commitment. Um, <clears throat> we've had students that have Graduate, there's been students graduating from North Bennett Street that come to us, and we have AAB people that have gone on 
to uh, North Bennett. In fact, uh, Jeff Alterpeter, who is the current director at North Bennett Street, is a graduate of both North Bennett and of AAB. So, um, you know, that kind of stuff happens. Okay. And how, how many uh, uh, students do you have uh, at a time? How big a course is that? Normally the limit is around 10. Sometimes we will have 12. It depends a bit on what we're teaching or whether we can get a good assistant to help um, because that, that gives us more flexibility. But we're also, we're somewhat limited with space. Um, you know, we have a very nice large studio. Um, if it was larger, we could run two classes at once. Mm -hmm. um, it's not large enough for that, but it is large enough for one class of 10 to 12 people to fit comfortably. Yeah. And it's really tough to, to teach uh, eight, eight, eight students at once without an assistant. It is, it is. I, I try to, to one, at least once I tried to teach uh, 14 students at once and it was just insane. And uh, uh, oh, yeah. it, I, I was absolutely exhausted after the, 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 the course. Oh yeah, and even with the assistant, um, the instructors, um, we live in a place called the barn, which is a house behind the, the school. And when we go back to the barn, it's sometimes dragging ourselves back there because it's an intensive eight hours and more because sometimes you'll stay on you know, longer, especially if somebody's having a problem with something, you don't just leave them mid problem. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's very intense teaching because there's no off switch until you finally get home for the night. But it's, it's, it feels so good to be there doing it though. Yeah. Could you perhaps talk a bit about your students over the years? Uh, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but surely some uh, uh, left better memories than others. Well, Stefan was just fine. I, <laughs> oh, I guess I guess the I get I get, get this uh, this mark because of my pancakes as well. <laughs> <laughs> they were good, but it also uh, Stefan was inventive too. I uh, did a box that had like some drawers in it or something, as I recall. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, yeah. The, there are students you sometimes get a student to where they get it so quickly that it's like shoveling information into them. They can't take it in fast enough and they get it. And it's, it's really pleasant to have somebody like that because you know, when you tell them, they might make a little mistake right afterwards, but they can even figure out what the mistake was and how to fix it. Sure, we get people like that um, some people are just blessed knowing how to do this. Um, I can't say that I am personally blessed with that. I'm just hard-headed and I'll keep working and working until I figure it out. Um, and that can take the place of sheer talent, but we do get some people in that have sheer talent. Um, but then we get a lot of people, you know, like myself who are just you know, they're quite capable 
Um, once they're shown a time or two, they can just go about it and they may come back for refinements and stuff. Um, we get some people who really, it takes more time. Um, we also get people coming there for different reasons. We've had book collectors, for instance, coming to take introductory classes. And it's not so much that they want to be a binder, they want to understand how it's done. Um, and we're hoping to actually start to, uh, in the future, to get in people from library science schools mm -hmm. who just need to understand from a hands-on point of view how a book is put together, you know, what is entailed in doing that. And, um, you know, with that kind of thing, it's, uh, they may never be good at it, um, but that's okay. And we also get people who aren't as upset by not being good at it. They just love doing it. You know, they'll keep doing it whether they're good at it or not. And that, you know, I get something out of all of them. Um, it's rare to have a student who is hard to teach. It's very rare. As you said, and as anyone can imagine, this was a tough year for, for the school. Uh, so what are your plans uh, with uh, maybe uh, some online classes and something like that? You told a bit about next uh, summer, but that I guess depends on uh, vaccination and uh, all the other changes that, sh that have to happen be before that moment, but uh, right. maybe something else. Yeah, um, Renata Mesmer did an online class where she taught uh, some simple paper repair techniques. Um, there was, I think it was about five weeks, you know, one like hour and a half, two hour block, five times over a five week period. Um, I took it myself so I could see how she was doing it so I could learn some things about uh, mm -hmm. um, how to produce a class. And um, we, she and uh, Chip, the director, and I were just talking yesterday um, about how we can carry on like this. Um, I've been wanting to see video as a permanent aspect of AAB because there's so much we could do in the winter time where we can't be there teaching. Uh -huh. And uh, Stepan made some really nice, tiny little videos. When I say tiny, I mean like 45 seconds or something that he took stuff with his phone, pictures yeah. and videos with his phone. And after he went home, he spliced them together and he sent them and they were great. Uh, they were more like an advertising for the place. But I think we're, we're starting to discuss what we feel we can handle um, with a, um, you know, in terms of video, what will play in a video and be understandable. I'm a little concerned about how three-dimensional things like covering a book will work during that. Um, it may be that we will have to have a person with a camera as well as a stationary camera. We're trying to work some of that through um, we would like to get video stuff up, both for the pandemic and especially for the long term, 
mm -hmm. have a library of um, videos that um, people can rely on from year, for years to come uh, and can augment what they've learned in classes. Yeah. So that's where we are with it. Now. Yeah. I really hope to see this. And uh, by the way, I still have a lot of footage from, uh, from the time I, I studied at the, at the academy. And uh, I, I really hope I will, at some moment, will have uh, enough time to start going through this footage and start editing it, because I think it can be uh, helpful for, for, for the school and useful for the school. I'd love to see it. I, I mean, the, the, those little ones that you did, they were so light and airy in the way they were presented. Um, you know, this really caught sort of the flavor of the school. Not that they were light and airy, but that it, everybody was having fun. You didn't mm -hmm. catch any of the scowling. We all had smiles on our faces and, you know, watching the work come together. So, you know, it's, it was a nice way to show what really does go on. So this is some of the work we've done over the years. Yeah. For instance, this is the first one that I did for 21st. Um, I think we did 40 or 50 copies of it. Um, red calfskin, black calfskin, um, two handmade papers from cave papers here in the States. Uh -huh. um, you know, the, if you see the way the cover is designed, here is the photograph that was responsible for the cover. Huh. You see the, the bride and the groom sort of spliced together. And then you see the angles from the balcony yeah. um, to the left and the right. Um, and so if you look at that and you look here, you sort of get a sense of... Um, where the design comes from. <laughs> okay, I initially thought about it was some reference to smoking uh, suit or something like that, but uh, it's, it's yes. much, much deeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Um, this is another one that we did for 21st. This, co this cover is copper. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting to try and figure mm -hmm. out is it engraved or etched or? It is etched. And so the way that was done, I had to figure out how to do this. And so if you look at the pattern of the etching, not the omega, yeah. but just the little splotchy parts, yeah. that was um, sawdust mixed in with a chemical. Um, I forget what the chemical is right now. Uh, my brain doesn't work that way. So what I did was see if I can move to where the light catches it. Mm -hmm. For the Omega, what I did was I cut a mylar shape like this. Yeah, okay. Um, and I cut corners out of the full sheet of mylar so it would snap over the plate mm -hmm. in the same place every single time. Mm -hmm. And I did a similar one for this um, arc with the uh, circles on it. And what I did was um, I put the, I would put the mylar on and then I took a Sharpie uh, pen 
you know, one of those black markers. And I did the Sharpie in here and I did the Sharpie across here. And then I put the cover. So there was nothing protecting these parts of the cover. I put the cover in covers because I was doing about 20 of these at a time um, into a plastic tub with the treated sawdust in there and would leave it for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. I then pulled it out the following day, uh, brushed all the sawdust off, washed the plates, got rid of all the Sharpie, um, and started over again. The second day, I didn't put any Sharpie on the Omega, but I did do it on here again. Yeah. So what you end up with after another 24 hours of um, treatment is that you have this area here that's actually had 48 hours worth of treatment. Yeah. This area has had 24 and these have not had any treatment at all. So you get a, a difference in, um, in the patterning. Yeah. And then I had to come up with a way of gluing the copper to the end sheets. Mm-hmm. And I found a material, that, the name of which I can't remember right now, but it's a material that conservators use to treat copper and uh, bronze statues that are outside. Uh, mm-hmm. Inquilac, Inquilac, it's called. And I coated the back of it. I roughed up the back of it with a really heavy-duty sandpaper. And um, then I coated it with Inquilac. And then I took Okawara, the uh, Japanese paper, and I sized the paper with um, methyl cellulose because I wanted to attach it with PVA to the inquilact surface mm-hmm. on the copper but i wanted to make sure the pva stayed right on the surface of the paper i didn't you know i wanted to make sure that it um really held well so i sized yep. the paper and then put them together and just you know really squish them in the press and the, you know this book is was done probably 10 years ago and the copper shows no um, evidence of coming up and then the spine is uh, parchment mm-hmm. okay. yeah that's 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 a beautiful beautiful result of etching process and that's that's a smart way to do etching with this uh, sawdust as, as you described yeah I that's something that I picked up um, I think Daniel Kelm might have done that Mm-hmm. Um, for something, and so I took the idea from him. Um, so this is a book that I did many years ago for an exhibition. Yeah. Um, and from its size, you can you can see that I had to use two skins of leather. No one goat skin was going to be that big. The big, yeah. So it's a it's like a split board uh, binding. Um, but I wanted to get this um, sort of, uh, yeah, this, the texture onto it. And the texture actually follows all the way across. It's a texture basically of a river. Um, ah. And what I did was I took um, 
aluminum foil and crumpled it up into that shape. And I was going to press the wet leather with it, but I knew that the aluminum foil would just collapse. Mm -hmm. So I crushed it into the shape. I turned it over and filled it with gesso. And then using the gesso, I glued it down to um, a couple of pieces of binders board, one for the front cover, one for the back cover. And um, then in some of these areas, like through here, that's just the gesso that I just kind of, you know, put down like that and let it pull away. Mm -hmm. um, once the gesso was hard enough, I could send the, I, I could then cover the boards and once the leather was still cool to the touch, but was really well set up, I ran them through an etching press in one of the studios here in the building. Mm -hmm. And what you get is that, um, that river going across. And I did two copies of this book. Um, the, uh, these parts actually were cutouts. Mm -hmm. And this is paper that was airbrushed uh, crumpled up, airbrushed, and then flattened out, and then glued into the um, the holes in the board. The book is called County Survey, and it talks about uh, sort of about uh, humans' relationship to the land. So the lines have to do with survey lines and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you can plots see plots of land or something like that. Like that. What's that? Plot, plots of land? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, well, they do that, look a bit also, like gerrymandering maps, you know? Yes, it does. <laughs> um, it also, like, there, there were, it was a book of poems. And so it had, a, had mostly to do with how we relate to the land. Mm -hmm. um, you know, landscapes uh, in the wild and that sort of thing. But, uh, um, you know, surveying also was part of that. And so this is more like a river. And when you step back and look, it's, you know, there are these sort of wings of surveyed lines and stuff like that. Um, and you can see where the gold breaks as it's going over, um, you know, a dip in the thing, that kind mm -hmm. of, that mm -hmm. uh, type of thing. That's what I wanted to ask you. Uh, how was it to to do tooling on on such a surface, even while it's yeah. leather? It's it's a, it's a treated leather in, in a very specific way. Yeah, um, actually, that part was pretty easy. Um, if um, if there was a break, I just let that accentuate. Um, you know, like this one is a good example of. Um, Okay. where the gold just didn't take because there were dips in the leather. And I actually like that aspect of it. Okay. This is the book that I just had to finish gilding 42 copies of Three Edges. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we had to stamp leather labels that were laid into an indention in the spine. Yeah, and uh, pretty pretty, well. tra pretty traditional uh, uh, job for, for yeah. a bookbinder. 
Yeah, I was given the design. The design was not mine. Um, it's probably not one I would have come up with, but that's, you know, all too often that's the case. This is another example of a design that was given to us, um, but it brought up some interesting problems and in that the client wanted... Um, it's Stephen King's Misery, and oh. I've never read the book, but okay. as I understand, a typewriter figures in the book fairly prominently. Yeah, it does. So, okay, I'll I have, have to read it. I have a lot of scary memories uh, because of Misery. <laughs> uh, well, now that I've got a copy, I'm going to have to read it. I just haven't <laughs> had time. But... Um, the publisher really wanted to use um, actual typewriter keys. Yeah. So he got typewriter keys. And, I, you know, I'm sorry to say that a lot of typewriters from the 30s and 40s had to die a painful death to make <laughs> this book come to life. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's the way it went. So um, one of the key things here is that, um, you know, we wanted to spell out um, misery yeah. um, with the keys set where they would be in the typewriter board. Mm -hmm. But I had to have these holes laser cut into the board. Um, and there's a woman who's about an hour away from me um, who does, uh, her name's Sarah Pike. And she does laser cutting. She does a lot for bookbinders and woodworkers and all kinds of other people. So she cut the holes through the board. And she was able to use the same PDF that I had for the stamping die so that um, we could, I could make sure that I could stamp exactly where the holes were not. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she made it to the exact same size and placement as a stamping die. But, you know, when you cover a leather book, the boards will change a little bit. Yeah. Uh, they might shrink up a bit. They won't shrink up any amount that really shows. But in this case, if it would have shrank up much, you would have seen, you know, the, the letters actually, you know, they wouldn't be placed correctly. Yeah. So what I did was for the edition, and I think there was about 45 of these, I paired all the leather and pasted the leather out onto big sheets of mylar and let the leather dry on the mylar so that when I was ready to put it on, I could use PVA to connect it to the boards, which meant that they would not move. And then I could use paste to do the turn-ins and the head caps, the normal stuff. But, um, you know, then the, um, the uh, you know, so everything else was done fairly normally. Uh -huh. um, but because the leather was pasted onto uh, the mylar, it didn't move again later. And it's a technique I use from time to time, depending on, uh, you know, on what, what we're doing. Uh -huh. um, uh, so uh, that's that's it for uh, this time. Uh, we will definitely uh, uh, ask Peter to join us uh, one more time to show more of his bindings and uh, make a workshop tour. 
And uh, it seems uh, Peter will be the first uh, of our guests who will have uh, three parts on his episode of uh, Ibo Grinding's podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, uh, uh, that's a new thing for us as well. Um, as usual, uh, we are very grateful to our, all our uh, viewers. We will be uh, happy to see some comments below this video. Uh, special thanks uh, to our uh, patrons on Patreon. Uh, thanks to your money, uh, we are able to edit uh, our podcasts and uh, uh, make more of them. Uh, we appreciate uh, your support quite a lot. And uh, if any of our viewers would like to join uh, the crowd of our supporters on uh, Patreon, uh, you can just uh, use the link below. Uh, pledges start with only one dollar or one euro per month. And uh, with uh, levels higher than three euros or three dollars per month, you get uh, some additional stuff uh, like digitized uh, books about book arts. If you like this video, please uh, like it, uh, follow us on YouTube, uh, maybe check uh, our Etsy store and our blog. There is also a newsletter on our website, so a lot of uh, stuff to follow and to read. And uh, thanks again for watching. See you next time. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye.